Hello, everybody. It is Michael here with another episode of the Under Pressure Podcast. Big episode 50. I'd like to thank uh, everybody just for the support on the first 50 episodes. We're basically like six months into doing this now, which is just crazy to me. It's been it's been a journey for sure. I've learned a lot about just podcasting, YouTube, the internet as a whole, and it's been a great experience so far to just finally be able to talk about what I love most, which is sports, and it's so awesome that I have a platform of people who are willing to listen and then give me feedback. It really does mean a lot. Every single one uh, person who's downloaded the show, who's watched it on YouTube, who's watched a clip, it all really does mean a lot. So yeah, thank you guys for the f- the support on the first 50 episodes. We're going to make the next 50 great, and yeah, let's get right into the episode. First, I want to talk about the NFL Divisional Round. This was a very, very interesting weekend of football right here. I'll start off with the first game that happened, which was uh, the Rams versus the Green Bay Packers. The Rams uh, did end up losing this one 18-32, and this one definitely wasn't a surprise at all. Everybody expected the Packers to win. At the end of the day, they were just the better football team. Aaron Rodgers played very, very well in this one. Completed 23 of his 36 passes, 296 yards, two touchdowns. Also was able to get a rushing touchdown in there. Aaron Jones was awesome this game. Was a big, big factor in the reason uh, that they were able to pretty much cruise through this game. Uh, He on 14 carries had 99 yards and a touchdown jamal williams played great at as the backup as well with 65 yards uh adam alan lazard had a very very good game four receptions 96 yards and a touchdown Devontae adams even uh being guarded a lot by jalen ramsey one of the best corners in the nfl was still able to have a great game uh getting nine receptions 66 yards and a touchdown overall this offense just played very very well played efficient football throughout and just kind of dominated this game uh their defense played very well as well got a good amount of uh, pressure after uh jared goff or sean gary had a sack and a half kenny clark a sack and a half zadarius so smith was able to get a sack in there uh special teams was good as well i mean overall the packers just looked like the great football team that they are and they really really had a, a, just such a good game in this one and it's not even like the rams played bad jared goff was great in this game super efficient especially you got to consider that thumb injury on his throwing hand that makes things a lot more difficult for him but he completed 21 of his 27 passes 174 yards and a touchdown cam Aker. Akers was running the ball effectively, uh, had 18 carries for 90 yards and a touchdown. Josh Reynolds had a good game. Then uh, Jefferson was able to get a touchdown. Like Overall, the team didn't play bad. At the end of the day, they were just outmatched. The Aaron Donald injury was definitely something that hurt them as well because he played through it but didn't have the same impact that we know Aaron Donald is capable of because Aaron Donald is usually just such a disruptor and makes everything so difficult for whatever team he's facing. But he wasn't really able to get that pressure as much as you could definitely tell he was being challenged a lot by that injury. Uh, So that definitely was a little disappointing that we weren't able to make this game a little bit closer, but it was still overall a solid game, and the the Rams kept it close. There were certain points where it looked like they were going to be able to make it like a tied game, but at the end of the day, the Packers just pulled out and proved why they're the better football team. I'm very interested to see how this Packers team does match up against the Buccaneers because we obviously saw the blowout game before, and that could indicate something, but it also couldn't so that's going to be really really exciting to see but 
it was just kind of what you'd expect out of this game. A pretty easy win for the Packers. I'll be interested to see where the Rams go from here because they really don't have like much room to improve. Because uh, at the end of the day, I do think there is a pretty clear ceiling with Jared Goff as your quarterback. Because Jared Goff has definitely hit his personal ceiling as well. Like They're obviously very well coached with Sean McVay. The running game is very good. They got some good weapons around him. Good defense. But I just don't know how far a team with Jared Goff as their franchise quarterback can really go. Especially because they're uh, pretty capped out. I mean, they have some very big contracts in guys like Jared Goff, Aaron Donald, uh, Jalen Ramsey. And they're probably going to have to pay some of their guys sooner rather than later. So they definitely got to have some uh, good drafts and just try and build almost the perfect team around uh, Jared Goff. But I do believe they can do that. They've shown a, a very good competency over there as far as drafting free agency moves. Uh, they're just a very smart organization who's consistently made good moves. And, yeah, it was a pretty uh, good game for the Packers. They looked great in this one. And this definitely gives them some good momentum going into next week. So, yeah, uh, the Packers were able to win 32-18 to over the Los Angeles Rams in the divisional round. Next game we are going to talk about is Ravens versus Bills. This was such a weird game here. A uh, game that was definitely heavily affected uh, by the wind and just the weather as a whole, like Justin Tucker missed two field goals, which you are rarely ever going to see, especially in a postseason game. That was just absolutely crazy. And also, uh, Tyler Bass missed two field goals as well. So, again, it was heavily affected by the weather, and that played a big, big factor in this game. Uh, and, yeah, Josh Allen played very solid, didn't do anything special, and had some pretty rough moments where he threw some bad balls didn't get any intercepted but it was another thing that the win was affected by like uh this the whole circumstances of this game were just crazy it looked a little bit more like old josh allen but i'm not concerned because josh allen has played so great uh throughout the entire year and he did step up and they did end up winning this game anyway but he completed 23 of his 37 attempts 206 yards and a touchdown just a solid game from him uh the running game like it's kind of been all year, just wasn't really effective. Stefan Diggs continues the absolute tear he's been on. I mean, he's just been on a whole nother planet this year. He's proven why he's one of the best receivers in the NFL. 106 yards and a touchdown in this one. John Brown, very, very good player. I love what he brings to this offense. Uh, he had 62 yards in this one. And then no one else really got that involved. It was mostly Stefan Diggs and Josh, uh, John Brown taking up the... Uh, load of the receptions and the targets in this one uh, and then their defense definitely played very very well obviously it helps that Lamar Jackson was injured but other than like even before his injury they were doing a very good job of locking down uh, that pretty good offense in there and then Teron Johnson had that awesome pick six uh, great play by him I mean it was definitely a bad read by Lamar but you got to give him credit for making the play and then outrunning everybody all the way to the end zone to get that touchdown uh, and they got a good amount of pressure after both quarterbacks. Uh, Jerry Hughes had two sacks. Uh, Mario Addison had a sack in there. Levi Wallace had a sack. Overall, they just played a very solid game. Not like as good as they could play because I think the Bills have such a high ceiling. And on their best day, I think they're better than almost any team in the NFL. But they still played a solid one, especially considering the weather conditions. And considering that this Ravens team is just a good football team. Uh, Lamar 
uh, in this game. Played solid, but didn't play great. Uh, I'm not going to blame it all on him like some people are because you got to consider these wide receivers on this team just don't get open. Like That's what they really need to address in the offseason is they need a true separator because even if Marquise Brown is a solid player and he's been playing pretty well recently, he's not a number one guy. They need someone on the outside who can really be a dominant guy. They need their Devontae Adams. They need their Stephon Diggs. They need their DeAndre Hopkins, and they still don't have that right now, and that puts a pretty clear ceiling on this offense because even if a guy like Mark Andrews is a very good player, at the end of the day, he's a tight end, and he's not like this generational talent like a George Kittle, like a Rob Gronkowski, or... Uh, like a Travis Kelsey he's a very good player but he's not on the level of those guys it's he's a pretty clear step behind those guys so he can't be your number one receiver uh, if you want this offense to truly be as successful as it can because Lamar at the end of the day is a good passer like is he the best passer in the NFL no but he's very very good he's a top 10 passer and with his ability as a dynamic runner as well if they can get a number one receiver that could just make this offense so crazy because their running game outside of Lamar even is very very good Gus Edwards uh, JK Dobbins was very good as a rookie like this offense has so much potential but it's just limited without that true separator but back to Lamar I mean he played well other than that interception that interception was a very very costly one they were marching down the field looked like they were about to tie the game up and then that was just a terrible throw I mean it's not like the throw was bad it was just the decision making was not there from Lamar I don't know what he saw that was very clearly covered and then Teron Johnson jumped in made the play the running game overall was pretty good uh, Gus Edwards and J.K. Dobbins literally had the exact same style line and then Lamar was able to put up 34 yards uh, Tyler Huntley I mean, it's Tyler Huntley, so I don't really know what you expect. He completed six of his 13 passes for 60 yards. Uh, he had an opportunity with Marquise Brown down the field who was wide open. And because he's Tyler Huntley, he completely missed him and completely just choked their opportunity of even being in this game without Lamar. So that definitely hurt. Marquise Brown had another good game. Like he was, he's been very solid this playoffs. Got to give him credit for that. J.K. Dobbins was also able to get involved in the past game. Overall, he had a very good game. He had three receptions for 51 yards, and then no one else was really able to make that impact. And that's yeah another case of uh, them just having that lack of firepower on the offensive side of the ball uh, a lot of fumbles in this game that was definitely something that hurt them I mean two fumbles from uh, Patrick um, McCarry one from Gus Edwards one from Lamar and one from Tyler Huntley uh, that was definitely a big issue because snapping was very very difficult in this game and that was something that hurt the Ravens a lot was their ability to snap uh I mean, they played some solid defense, but at the end of the day, if their offense is scoring three points, there's really nothing their defense can do. Uh, they held a good Bills team to only 17 points, and one of those was a defensive touchdown, so you got to give them credit for that. But it was a pretty easy one for the Bills, kind of what I expected, especially with this super messy game. I just expected it to be an ugly one, but I expected the better football team to come out on top, and that's what happened with the Buffalo Bills getting the win over the Baltimore Ravens. Next game I want to talk about is Browns versus Chiefs. The Browns' magical run has finally added, and it was a very, very 
uh, weird game for sure. Just starting off on the Chiefs side, Patrick Mahomes uh, was injured. He went in for uh, concussion protocol and then was ruled out for the game. So, yeah, Patrick Mahomes was great when he was playing. Completed 21 of his 30 passes for 255 yards and a touchdown. Like, it seemed like there was people open every play and he was being effective and hitting them. Also had a rushing touchdown in there. Just overall, he was very, very good. But that that injury definitely hurts them a lot. And I'm super excited to see, like, an update on that because I actually haven't really looked into it. And I'll, I'll do that right now to see if there's any update because that is big for them going into this next week because we all know how good Patrick Mahomes is uh so if he's con- has a concussion and if he's not able to play then that's definitely a big big worry for them so uh let me see so he's doing good after being knocked out of the game versus the Browns I don't really know if that'll be oh so Andy Reid said he's doing very very well and They'll see how he's doing tomorrow. So still a bit up in the air. I'm sure by the time this like video comes out on the Clips channel, we may hear more about that. But for now, I'm just hoping he's back by next week because at the end of the day, you want to see the best football possible. And uh, a game versus a healthy uh, Chiefs and then a healthy uh, Bills, I think is going to be an absolutely ridiculous game. But Chad Henney did step up and played pretty good in the absence of Patrick Mahomes. I mean, that interception was absolutely atrocious. I don't know what the hell he was doing on that. Like, I, I could have threw a better ball there. But other than that, I mean, he played well, completed six of his eight passes for 66 yards, and then had that big run that put him in position to get the first down. That was absolutely massive. Great. Just a great play call by Andy Reid right there to completely throw uh, them off uh, with Chad Hetty throwing a pass on fourth and inches. Like I'm sure no one in the building expected that to happen, but at the end of the day, it was successful. It worked out, and they were able to get the first to close out the game. Tyreek Hill was awesome this game. Eight receptions, 110 yards. Uh, he's just been on a tear this year. Travis Kelsey continues his absolutely legendary season at tight end. Like He's been He's been phenomenal this year at tight end. The best tight end season of all time. Just absolutely ridiculous stuff from him. And then their defense uh, did get sliced up at times, but stepped up at certain moments and made some big plays. That that fumble, one of the worst calls that I've ever seen. First of all, we all hate that rule that if it goes out of the end zone, it's a touchback. That's a terrible rule. But that was such a clear helmet-to-helmet hit and they just didn't call it. Like, I don't know what the refs were thinking on that play. That was one of just the most obvious plays uh, that was made in the game. Clear helmet to helmet. And that's what caused the fumble at the end of the day. And that was big for the Cleveland Browns. That hurt them quite a lot. Because that took away a score from them. And then I don't remember exactly what happened on that drive for the Chiefs. I think they may have got like a field. I'm pretty sure they got a field goal on that drive. But yeah, that was super frustrating right there. And just as a non-biased fan, but someone who wanted to see the Browns win the game. Because that's just exciting if the Cleveland Browns upsetted the Chiefs. Uh, I was super frustrated by that. But on, on the Brown side, Baker Mayfield played a very... Uh, good uh, game he did have an interception in there but other than that he he played great in this one and people got to start recognizing Baker Mayfield's one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL and he proved in this one just consistently playing very very good football rolling out of the pocket and extending plays throwing super 
tight window passes. Like, he threw so many great passes in this one. And I got to give a ton of credit. After I criticized Baker Mayfield very heavily early on in the season, he stepped up in the second half and played lights out. And if he can continue to play play like this going into the next season this browns team is dangerous man and they're gonna be so fun and they have such a bright future because nick chubb is still young kareem hunts under contract for one more season baker mayfield still on a rookie deal so they could try and maybe make some big moves in free agency they definitely uh, need to address some things like they could use help at linebacker uh but their team is still pretty well rounded right now and they're a very very good team so i'm super excited to see what happens in the future of this roster uh nick chubb as always was great in this one kareem hunt continues to be one of the best backups in the league he was able to get a touchdown in this one richard higgins was very very good had five receptions for 88 yards david and joku got involved uh, with 59 yards in there jarvis landry i uh, was able to get a touchdown and austin hooper made one of the most incredible catches I've ever seen. That was, like, it was a great throw from Baker Mayfield, do not get me wrong, but the catch from uh, him was just absolutely ridiculous. Rashard Higgins had the fumble, which, again, shouldn't have been a fumble. Helmet to helmet hit. That should be a score for Cleveland, and I'm still annoyed by that because uh, at the end of the day, I just want to see a fair football game, but that was completely ridiculous. Carl Joseph was able to get the interception, but, I mean, that was more just Chad Henney making one of the worst throws ever. Miles Garrett got a sack in there, but overall the pressure after the quarterback wasn't too good in this one, especially when like Chad Henney went in because they went a lot more conservative, reasonably so. Like Chad Henney didn't really have to do much. It was just a lot of underneath throws, and then he had to try and make some big plays on like third down. And I wish the Browns' defense could have done a better job of containing that pretty simple offense, especially because like uh, the Chiefs were dealing with some injuries, like Clyde Edwards' Hilaire wasn't able to play in this one, so Damian William, uh, Daryl Williams played, and he was actually very, very good, average six yards per carry. But I would, I would have just hoped that the Browns' defense could have stepped up. But this was still one hell of a season for the Cleveland Browns. You got to give them all the credit in the world for how they played this season and just how bright of a future this roster has because they found their franchise quarterback. They have this amazing running back duo. And even if Kareem Hunt leaves at some point, Nick Chubb is one of, if not the best running back in the NFL. They have their head coach in Stevan Fasansky, who is a very, very good coach. They got a good receiving core and they're missing Odell. And I mean, you can... You can ask if Baker is better or worse with Odell. I don't really know. I don't know if it's just Baker being a better football player or it's Odell being gone or it's a mix of both because it definitely felt like sometimes he was either getting talked to in his ear like you got to force Odell the ball or it's just something he consciously thought he had to do because Odell is this super high profile player and he's a great uh, receiver so that would definitely be interesting whenever Odell does come back but honestly with how bad of the, the injury that it was for Odell I don't really know if it'll be uh, next year and even if it even if it is it will probably be pretty late in the year so you're gonna have to have guys like Donovan Peoples-Jones and Jarvis Landry step up and Rashard Higgins but honestly Baker thrives the most when he's passing to his tight ends anyway and they got David Njoku and Austin Hooper so I really like just the structure of this offense I like a lot of the pieces on the defensive side of the ball for them like I said they do have some things they need to address I definitely would like to see them get a better linebacking core going into the next season but I'm super excited for the future of the Cleveland Browns. 
And this was one hell of a season, their most successful season in a long, long time. But they weren't able to pull out the win and narrowly lost to the Kansas City Chiefs. And the Chiefs are back in the AFC Championship for the third season in a row. Last game we're going to talk about here was the game I was anticipating the most and was a very exciting game for me. The Buccaneers were able to get the 30-20 win over the New Orleans Saints here. Tom Brady played a pretty good game. I mean, it wasn't perfect by any means, but he threw some excellent balls in this one. Like that throw to Scotty Miller, oh my goodness. I, I swear, I rewatched that play so many times. It was just such a beautiful throw. The Tyler Johnson play as well. I mean, the throw is very good, but that was also one hell of a catch from Tyler Johnson. And just overall, he played a good game, played pretty clean. Uh, did have some opportunities where the defense could have made a play here and there. But overall, again, a good game from him. Leonard Fournette was very, very good in this one. Did have a lot of carries, uh, but was still able to get 63 yards. And then was pretty impactful in the passing game as well. Uh, had 44 yards and a touchdown. Ronald Jones played great as well. 13 carries for 62 yards. Tom Brady was able to get his QB sneak touchdown. And just overall, the offense played very very well stepped up in key moments and made some big plays especially towards the end of the game the defense definitely helped them with that but uh, the defense put them in good position and then the offense executed all you could ask for out of this offense uh, and yeah the defense played very very well got to give a ton of credit to them on how they played Sean Murphy Bunton with an interception Mike Edwards with an interception and Devin White with an interception overall Devin White had one hell of a game he was able to uh, recover their fumble as well that was forced by Antoine Winfield Jr. who's been one of the best rookies in the NFL he's been incredible and that was such a great play from him pitcher perfect just ability to punch the ball out and yeah that was just absolutely excellent from him and overall this defense stepped up so much forced so many uh, turnovers in big moments and just played a very good coverage throughout the game we saw why their uh, linebacking core being one of the better ones in the NFL is so important to this roster I mean Devin White and Levante David are both individually such good players so when you put them alongside each other it's going to be difficult for the other teams and then you have good players like Antoine Winfield uh, that stepped up and made some big plays. I'm, they weren't really able to get much pressure at all after the quarterback, but the coverage was very good, and I got to give them credit for that. Also, special teams, very solid. Uh, Bradley uh, Pian uh, punted four times, averaged 45.8 yards per punt. Uh, Ryan Suckup made all three of his field goals, all three of his extra points. It was just overall pretty clean game from the Buccaneers. Just played a very good, well-rounded game. Love to see that from them. And then Drew Brees, man, in what was probably his final game, you really saw, saw why it should have been his final game because he was he was pretty bad in this one. Completed 19 of his 34 passes, only 134 yards, one touchdown, and three interceptions. So those interceptions were all pretty, pretty bad. Uh, and it's obviously not helped by the fact that he has a literal noodle arm right now and he can't throw past 15 yards. But also just some very out-of-character stuff from Drew Brees, like some bad mistakes, balls not being uh, placed right. It was just a very, very weird and uncharacteristic uncharacteristic game from Drew Brees. And yeah, it was definitely a really sad way for one of the greatest quarterbacks and one of my favorite players of all time to go out. 
Uh, but I mean, it is what it is. Jameis Winston came in on a trick play, threw a big 56-yard touchdown, got revenge against his old team. I'm really excited to see what the future of Jameis Winston is in New Orleans because uh, this could easily be his team, but also it's definitely weird what happened with the whole like Taysom Hill situation and Taysom Hill getting the start when Drew Brees was injured. I do think that was more of a product of uh, Taysom just being more comfortable with the playbook as he's been there for a couple of years now. So I think after a whole year of being a backup and getting used to the playbook, understanding Sean Payne's offense, I think it definitely could be time next year for uh, James Winston to take over. And I think he could be good with this offense. It would definitely give him a much different dynamic as he's a uh, way more electric player, but he's also way more, uh, he's way more, uh, what's the word? Uh, I don't know what I'm saying, but he's way more turnover prone uh, than Drew Brees, even though obviously Drew Brees had three interceptions in this one. It's not the typical Drew Brees game. He usually does a good job of holding on to the football and making smart reads. Well, Jameis Woodson obviously has the big play potential, but also has the potential to throw 30 interceptions in a season. So I think their offense will probably be even more uh like revolved around Alvin Kamara than it was this year. And Alvin Kamara will probably go off because, I mean, he's one of the best running backs in the NFL. He had 18 carries for 85 yards in this one. Also had 20 in the receiving game. He was great uh, and was basically like the only reason they were able to keep in this game on the offensive side of the ball at least. Traquan Smith had two touchdowns in this one. Obviously had the big uh, trick play touchdown where he was just completely wide open. And Michael Thomas... For him being uh, one of the best receivers in the NFL, this was an atrocity of a game. He had uh, zero catches for zero yards, zero touchdowns on four targets, just wasn't getting open, and then uh, really couldn't make any plays even when he had a bit of separation. He got completely locked down this game. It was pretty embarrassing to see a guy who talks so much and who is praised as one of the best receivers to play like this in such a big game. He got completely locked down in this one. And overall, the Saints offense just really didn't look good throughout the entire game. I was super unconfident in the, in the Saints, and I thought the Buccaneers were going to win. But I thought it would be in a bit of closer fashion. I, I didn't think Drew Brees was going to go out like this, but... He did. Uh, their defense did play pretty solid, but they didn't play like a great game. And when uh, Drew Brees keeps giving the Buccaneers opportunities in good scoring position, I, I don't know what you really expect your defense to do anyway. So this was definitely a disappointing way for the Saints to go out because it's just another year where you expect more out of the Saints. You expect them to be this team that is very, very good, especially with how good they were on the defensive side of the ball this year. You're asking Drew Brees to just do enough and then rely on Alvin Kamara, but even that wasn't successful, and they failed in the playoffs yet again. This is like the fourth year in a row where they, got, where they went out too early, and I mean, the Buccaneers are a very good football team with the greatest quarterback of all time and then amazing weapons around him and then playmakers on the defensive side of the ball, but just going out in this fashion was pretty embarrassing for the Saints. And it was yet another year of disappointment for them. Now going on to my conference championship predictions. And man, these are some interesting games right here. I am very, very excited for uh, January 24th. That is going to be one hell of a day of football. First starting off at 3.05 p.m. Eastern, you got Buccaneers versus Packers, and this is one of the most compelling games in a long, long time for me at least, because 
obviously just on paper looking at record wise you should think the Packers should win this game and I completely understand the rationale of thinking the Packers could pretty easily win this game but matchup wise especially this is a this is a close game right here because we obviously saw pretty early on in the season the Buccaneers blew out the Packers and it was in pretty embarrassing fashion like this defense looked like they found the recipe of how to stop Aaron Rodgers obviously Aaron Rodgers is one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time and had a ridiculous season but this was one of the few teams I was able to give Aaron Rodgers a whole world of trouble but you also have to ask the question does that really matter like does that mean anything in this matchup in the playoffs and that's a definitely a good question I'm super interested personally to see if that really means anything because it w at the end of the day, it was a regular season game. And we literally saw with the Buccaneers beating the Saints, even though they got embarrassed uh, the second game they played, and they, and they lost the first game they played pretty narrowly. So you have to ask the question, does the 38-10 to 10, uh, win that the Buccaneers were able to get over the Packers, does that even mean anything? Does the 28-point uh, second quarter that they were able to get, does it mean really anything? Because you have to think, the Packers had so much time to prepare now. They had so much time to study film. And they're going to have a whole week to study in-depth film on this Buccaneers roster. And then look back at that game. Look back at the mistakes they made. And self-evaluate themselves. And see what they can do differently. Because you just can't expect, as much as I'm not like a big fan of Aaron Rodgers. I respect his greatness, but I'm not a big fan of him. You cannot expect a player as good as Aaron Rodgers to have 160 yards and two interceptions in a game again. Like That just simply doesn't happen. But I do expect Aaron Rodgers to have some of the similar struggles that he did uh, in that first game. Because that linebacking core is so good. Because they are able to get after the quarterback pretty, pretty well. Uh, and because overall that defense just has a lot of talent and a lot of guys who can make big plays, who are playmakers on that side of the ball. And then, obviously, uh, Devontae Adams is a great player. It could easily be the best uh, receiver in the NFL. But they don't really have that much outside of Devontae Adams receiving-wise. So that definitely is something I always look at when I'm uh, looking at a Packers game is outside of Devontae Adams, who's going to be the guy who steps up? Is it going to be like Alan Lazard? Uh, or are they going to have to have their running backs be more involved in the passing game? That's always a super interesting storyline for me anytime there's a Packers game. But the Packers are rolling right now. They're playing very, very well. The running game has looked great. Aaron Jones has been awesome. And he was really, really good uh, in their last game that they played. So this is such a tough pick for me because the Buccaneers have this crazy top-end talent that very few teams have. They have Tom Brady, and I always believe in Tom Brady. They have Gronk, who can make some big plays. They have their ridiculous receiving core, where Antonio Brown has able, been able to keep quiet and then be a really good receiver. And then they have so many so many great players on the defensive side of the ball. But my issue with them is that a lot of the times they're uh, just lack of discipline is the thing that hurts them the most. It's the penalties. And we even saw that. That could have been very costly in that Saints game if Drew Brees just didn't completely choke. Like, they had some very, very key penalties and kept uh, just keeping the Saints in the game with those penalties. So that is my big worry with the team. I'm worried about their coaching. 
but it's it's again so hard for me to pick against Tom Brady when he has these weapons around him but it's also hard to pick against such a good team in the Green Bay Packers so this is this is such a coin toss for me and this may be biased as a New England Patriots fan as someone who absolutely loves Tom Brady loves Rom Gronkowski but I'm picking the Buccaneers to win this game I could completely see it going either way I think this is going to be one hell of a football game between two very very good teams but I have the Buccaneers making it all the way going to the Super Bowl and now the next game which is literally just as interesting as the other one probably even more interesting to me because I've been thinking about this game so extensively inside and outside the podcast like every time i talk about the bills and i talk about the chiefs i'm like i need these two teams to face off and here we are bills versus chiefs at arrowhead stadium 6 40 p.m eastern time on january 24th this is gonna be a classic game at least i'm hoping for it to be these are two of the most electric offenses in all of the nfl with two of the best quarterbacks they got some of the best receivers and i think it's gonna be an absolute shootout in this one because josh allen has risen to a whole nother level this year he's been absolutely phenomenal and it's been a pleasure to watch just his growth he's grown so much as a player uh they completely reworked his mechanics the whole coaching staff did and that's helped him so so much he is just such more of a precision passer right now and he obviously still has the athletic tools that he had which made him get picked so high in the first place like he's such a big and strong guy who's able to run so well and then he obviously has that cannon of an arm that allows him to make plays that basically every other quarterback in the nfl except for a guy like patrick mahomes is just physically even capable of making he's that special of an athlete and now that he's really worked out the mechanics and he's much more of a technically good football player he is absolutely amazing this season and he was an mvp candidate for sure like aaron Rodgers is going to be the mvp and that's well deserving but josh allen had one hell of a year let's not forget that and then the addition of stefan diggs has just completely transformed this offense stefan diggs is a top five receiver in the nfl and he doesn't get the credit he deserves for it like he had this ridiculous season that he did and i feel like i still don't see him mentioned nearly enough in like the best receiver in the nfl conversation i think stefan diggs is that good he's an elite route runner with phenomenal hands great speed like he has everything you'd want out of a receiver he's the full package and he is a true difference maker for this offense and has really made this team incredible i think the coaching for the buffalo bills is absolutely great i think the running game is underwhelming but their offense as a whole is so good and their passing game as a whole is so good that i still believe in this roster heavily and uh, their defense has been a little bit underwhelming so far this season, but they still have a great number one corner in Tredavious White. They still have a guy like Tremaine Edmonds. They still have talent on that side of the ball. And then you look at the Chiefs. Obviously, the Chiefs are just a ridiculously talented team. Patrick Mahomes, who I don't know if he's going to be playing, but I'm, I'm just going to assume for now he's going to be playing because everything that I've heard from Andy Reid uh, sounds like he'll be good. Uh, but it definitely comes into question how good will Patrick Mahomes be if he's uh, playing because he was hurt. And that definitely could be a big, big factor in this game, just how healthy Patrick Mahomes is. So I'm super excited to see that for sure. But if you look, you just outside of Patrick Mahomes, who's in my opinion, the most talented player in the 
NFL we've ever seen. I mean, you could obviously say like Lawrence Taylor, and I would completely understand that. But I just think the value of the quarterback makes it pretty easily for me that Patrick Mahomes is just strictly the best player we've ever seen touch a football field. And then he has this crazy uh, just amount of weapons around him. Tyreek Hill is absolutely phenomenal. He's not just a speed guy. He is so much better at route running than when he came into the league. He was such a raw player. That's why he got drafted lower and do some off the field stuff as well. But he's completely refined his game and is now one of the best receivers in the NFL. Uh, Travis Kelsey is probably the best tight end in the NFL. I'm a big George Kittle guy, but you can't deny how good Travis Kelsey's been this year. He had the greatest individual tight end season of all time most receiving yards he's just been absolutely ridiculous the dude is averaging over like 90 yards per game and has continued that dominance going into the playoffs Clyde Edwards Hilaire will be back and that'll definitely be big for them they have so many pieces on the offensive side of the ball but their offensive line is something that worries me as they've dealt with COVID there as certain guys pulled out they've dealt with injuries and it's something that's been unreliable at times and has been a big issue at times for this roster but I do believe in Andy Reid to make such a good scheme for this roster because he's just he's just a legendary coach I mean he's one of the best coaches that the NFL has ever seen and he's a big reason to Patrick Mahomes success like we all know how uh, talented Patrick Mahomes is but uh, it's just Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes going back and forth with each other and they help each other so much I don't think that takes credit away from either one of them I think it's the same thing with like Tom Brady and Bill Belichick uh, just because uh, they're both great and they both help each other a ton doesn't mean we should take away from each other we should just both uh, recognize the greatness of these guys and the Kansas City Chiefs are one of just the most talented teams we've seen in a long long while but they have their worries on the defensive side of the ball they ha- they have their worries on the offensive line they have they they have their worries with health right now so this makes this game really really tough for me to pick because i could so easily see it going either way cuz i just think again it's going to be uh it's going to be an electric game where both teams are going back and forth it's going to be a ridiculous game right here and it's hard for me to pick against the Bills who've looked so good all year and are getting the right momentum, who played really well in the second half. And then you have the questions about the Chiefs that are looming over their head. So I think I'm going with the Buffalo Bills in this game. But this is another game that is a complete coin toss to me. And I could so easily see going either way. So I'm just at the end of the day, as a fan who doesn't really have a ton of stakes in this game as a Patriots fan, uh, I'm just super excited to see some great football. Because I'm not I'm not one of those football fans who's so invested that I just hate the Bills because they're in our division. Like, obviously, we have a rivalry with them. And I want to beat the Bills every time when we're playing them. But at the end of the day, I want to see good football and I think this is going to be some of the best football we've ever seen this is going to be an electric game and I'm just really really excited to see it but I'm picking Buccaneers and the Buffalo Bills in the Super Bowl but again could see these games going either way and I'm just excited for Sunday to come and for me to be able to watch the Uh, these four football teams uh, play because these teams are all very very good all have a crazy amount of talent and uh, all deserve to be here so really really exciting stuff and yeah I'm gonna take a break and I'll be right back to talk about the NBA 
Okay, I'm back to talk about the Los Angeles Clippers. This team has looked very, very good early on in the season. Obviously, they're a team that's heavily criticized due to the playoff underperformance they had last year, and I still need to see them be successful in the playoffs before I just start getting, giving them all the credit in the world. But I got to give them credit for how they've looked early on in the season. Paul George has been absolutely phenomenal, playing lights out, looking back to... Uh, 2019 OKC Paul George, his efficiency has been just out of this world. It's been absolutely ridiculous. 51% from the field, 51% from three, 92% from the line, averaging five assists as well, six rebounds, playing the great defense that he does. Overall, he's just been so well-rounded and has been playing so, so well for the Clippers. He's just getting that rhythm. He's shown why he's one of the best three-point shooters in the league, which is an ability of his that I feel like goes a little bit under the radar just how good of a three-point shooter he is because he is really really elite and obviously 51 percent isn't sustainable but he is a guy who can shoot 40 plus percent from three on a season i mean he shot 41 percent last year at the end of the day it does matter that he performs well in the playoffs but i do like everything i've seen from paul george so far he's been just super locked in and has been playing super super well just looks like the paul george that we all know he's capable of looks like the all nba guy and he just looks super healthy, which honestly is the most important thing is how healthy Paul George is because he's had those sh uh, the shoulder issue. He had just some knickknack injuries last year that you could tell were definitely affecting him. But if he can be healthy for an entire season and just continue to play like this, he's going to be an MVP candidate. And he's an MVP candidate so far. I'd probably say he's around top five. I mean, you got guys like Nikola Jokic playing ridiculous, but his team is six and seven. LeBron's been great, but hasn't been like dominating uh Giannis is the voter fatigue Paul George is definitely up there for MVP so far and it's just been playing great I do like that he's been playing more of like a point guard role being more of a playmaker for this roster especially because that's the thing that in my opinion they lacked more than anything and was a big issue for them last year was having that initiator and Paul George obviously isn't like a number one playmaker but if he can be more of that playmaker that definitely helps would like to see him cut down on the turnovers a little bit but with him having a higher usage and being asked to do more as a playmaker, that's just what you'd kind of expect considering he's not an elite facilitator. But I do really, really enjoy the way he's playing. And I just love to see Paul George looking back to his OKC self because that OKC Paul George, especially in the regular season uh, in 2019, I mean, they had the whole like MVPG thing. He was phenomenal that year. And he's back to doing that. And we all know how good he is on the defensive side of the ball. It's just about him staying healthy and being consistent and then obviously it matters the most when it comes playoff time and I'm still worried about Paul George when it comes to the playoffs but at least for this regular season he's looked absolutely incredible and I got to give him a ton of credit Kawhi hasn't done really anything too special he's just looking like Kawhi Leonard at the end of the day and Kawhi is just one of the best players in the league he's uh, being super efficient so far shooting 49% from the field 43% from three about 88% from the line uh, I love his playmaking honestly that's the thing that has stood out more uh, to me than anything because we all know how good of a score Kawhi Leonard is I do like how good he's shooting the three ball but that's not something that's super surprising because he shot around like 38 percent uh for most years in his career and he shot he shot 44 percent before shooting uh four attempts per game so it's not really surprising but him averaging almost six assists per game and only 1.8 turnovers that ratio is really really good and that's something that he's stepped up in every
every year is the playmaking facility, uh, the playmaking part of the game. And that's something he's really stepped up in recently. Like he showed that off last year, averaging almost five assists, which was a career high, but he was still averaging like 2.6 turnovers. You could definitely tell it wasn't just natural for him, but it looks a lot more natural now. And now that they've like, uh, at some points they incorporate the triangle offense into this team, the offense just flows so much better. And you have Kawhi Leonard and Paul George both being asked to play make more. And they've both done that very successfully. So love what I've seen from Kawhi Leonard. He's just being himself and him him being himself as a top three player in the league. Uh, at least top five. I don't care what anybody says. Kawhi Leonard is an amazing basketball player. Uh, you have a guy like uh, Serge Ibaka who's been great for the squad because he just brings such a better presence at the rim. Like Even if Montrose Harrell averages more blocks than him, uh, Serge Ibaka brings such a better presence at the rim as a guy who just does a such a good job of affecting shots and then you and then it allows Zubak to be a backup like he started in their game against the Pacers where they they were able to blow out a really good Pacers team but for the most part Zubak is able to play a full-time backup which is the role he fits best because Zubak is a good player but it's not someone you ever want to be a starter you want him to play like the 18 minutes that he does bring some good energy bring some good rim protection and bring that size that he does so I really really like that and I love Serge Ibaka's ability to stretch the floor because it opens up the game so much for everybody else it allows them to run like five out and then you're being forced to guard Kawhi Leonard one-on-one -on -one, and that's a tall task with how strong Kawhi is and just how good at he is at getting to his spots and that's not even talking about their second option in Paul George who's been locked in this year you got a guy like Luke Kennard off the bench who didn't start off the season great but it's starting to get rolling a little bit and it started to play very very well shooting over 50 percent from three I love his ability to shoot the three ball also i would like to see him get more involved as a playmaker because i feel like he is a very very solid one so that's definitely something i would like to see but he's doing what they wanted him to do which is just to be a three-point shooter and as long as he does that effectively that's what matters because a guy like landry shamit played that similar role for them but he wasn't the playmaker that luke Kennard was and he he just became really inconsistent and was kept like falling out of the rotation and stuff uh, Marcus Morris, as much as I'm not a fan of Marcus Morris and his style of play, just because I feel like he's a guy who dominates the ball way too much, he has been playing very well this season as well. Like, a lot of these numbers for the Clippers aren't sustainable. So many of the, these guys are shooting, like, 50% from three, but they do have legitimately very good talent on this roster. And I feel like a lot of people, maybe even including myself, forgot how talented this roster was just because of the collapse that they had. And there's still no excuses for how bad they played in the playoffs. But this team has looked a lot better, being 10-4. and four, They picked up some nice guys for this roster. Like Nick Batum is someone who is pretty bad uh, for the Hornets these past couple of seasons, but has been very, very solid uh, for the Clippers this year. He's been starting a lot, and he's been taking advantage of his minutes. He just looks so much more motivated, and now that he really has to play for every contract that he's going to get, he looks a lot better. Uh, shooting over 40% from three, always love to see that. And then I, I love what he brings as a playmaker as well. 2.7 assists, only 0.6 turnovers. And then he's the guy who just knows his role. Like, he doesn't get in the way of anybody. And I feel like they have a lot less of that than they did last year. Like, last year, I felt like it was just so crammed because they had so many guys getting in the way of each other. And is will a guy like Marcus Morris get in the way of Kawhi and Paul George sometimes? Yes, 
Uh, and that's just his play style. That's just kind of what it takes with Marcus Morris. But now they just have less uh, offensive uh, responsibilities for guys. And it really helps just allowing your two star players to flourish the most instead of asking for uh, these other guys to uh, take shots away from Kawhi and PG because they just had too many guys on the roster last year that their main role was to score. And if they weren't really bringing scoring, what else were they doing? Like Montrez Harrell, even though he's a good uh He's a good like energy guy, and he's uh, a good rebounder. His main role is to score the basketball, and when he's not doing that, what is he doing? And when he is doing that, he's taking away shots from the guys you really want to take shots. And then even like Lou Williams has been playing less this season because Lou Williams, that's the one thing he's been he's been pretty bad this year. He just doesn't look the same, man. Like he's not doing terrible by any means, but he's only getting nineteen point seven minutes per game, which is the lowest. Uh, since his second season in the league, which is very, very telling. And honestly, I do think that's a good thing for the Clippers. As good of a scorer as Lou Williams is, as natural as a bucket as he is, he's someone who's just a defensive nightmare. So in a uh, close playoff series where they may actually have to face a Los Angeles Lakers team, uh, I think it makes sense for Lou Williams to just not be super involved in the rotation because uh, in any close playoff series, he's going to get absolutely just targeted and pointed out every time. So if they can rely on more guys that are better on the defensive side of the ball, like Nick Batum, Marcus Morris, uh, stuff like that, even like Reggie Jackson is better. I mean, he's not a like great defender or even Terrence Mann, who is a young guy who you probably don't want to rely on too much. He is uh, pretty long with him being 6'5", and he's really good on the defensive side of the ball. So even having guys like that be a little more involved than Lou at this point in his career, I think is good. And I just like how the offense is flowing. I like how they're playing on the defense side of the ball still not letting myself be tricked and I still need to see more from this roster but I'm happy with how they're performing and it's been really nice to see Kawhi and PG play the way they are and this team could be pretty dangerous I like what I've seen out of the Los Angeles Clippers so far this season now going on to the next team I want to talk about, and that's the New Orleans Pelicans. They were able to recently get a win over the Sacramento Kings. Uh, a very, very fun game. I mean, Darren Fox went crazy this game. Uh, Zion Williamson was very, very good, scoring 31 points. But as a whole, this team has been pretty disappointing, and I'm a little bit worried about this roster, if I'm being honest. Zion, he did have a, a very good game against the Kings, like I was saying, uh, but Overall, he's been just a little bit of a disappointment this season, and it's not that he's been playing bad or anything, it's just that he's looked a lot like himself last year, and I really expected Zion to take a significant leap forward. Now, I do like what I've seen out of, on the defensive side of the ball from him. That's something he's definitely taken a leap in, and that was the thing I honestly criticized more than anything. Like, I don't really care that he's not that good of a three-point shooter. He can make he can make it work, but it was more his defensive worries and his health that I criticized more than anything. So I do like to see that I do like to see that he's been healthy so far he doesn't look like he's had really uh, the stamina issues that he had last year he's playing 32 minutes per game so that's really nice to see but he's just been a little bit underwhelming and honestly I think it's the Steven Adams edition that's uh, hurting him because even though Steven Adams is a very very good player he just kind of gets in the way of Zion and that's not Steven Adams fault like Steven Adams just isn't a good shooter and they knew that that's why that move was so weird to me it's not only the Steven Adams move it's the getting Steven Adams and then also extending him that was so so weird to me uh, and that's definitely been something that hurts Zion 
Zion's game. Like I've always pictured Zion having a stretch center alongside him and that being his most successful uh play because he plays more like a center than anything so having a guy who plays a little bit untraditional like if you were able to get a miles turner on this roster uh just somebody in that mold i think that would help zion so so much and really unlock his game to being this phenomenal player because the spacing as a whole on this roster just really isn't there like brandon ingram's a very good three-point shooter and he's been hooping this season shout out to brandon ingram i really really like what i've seen from him so far uh averaging 23 points like he isn't even he's averaging less points than he was last season but he's just being uh, a very good player i like to see his playmaking he's taking a step his defense has looked better as well overall he's just been a well-rounded very very good player for this roster so i like what i've seen from him so far uh, he is shooting the three ball a little bit worse uh, like three percent worse but i'm not super worried about that because he proved last year he was a good three-point shooter but it's just the additions that they made in the offseason is the thing that confused me the most. Like, they had such a weird offseason. The Eric Bledsoe thing, he's actually been shooting pretty well this season. But I honestly just simply don't think that's sustainable. And I don't think that's going to last for him. Like, he's shooting over 40%. He's con he's historically been a bad uh, three-point shooter. And especially when you go into a playoff series where a team is really honing in on a team. And they're really focusing on every single individual matchup. They're game planning. I just cannot trust Eric Bledsoe in a playoff series. Um, and honestly, I don't even know if they're going to be in a playoff series because they just, they've just been underwhelming so far this season. Like, they haven't been bad. They won last night. They're 5-7 and seven now. But they've just been a little disappointing so far. And it's... It's mostly due to the fit, I think. Like, they have the talent, obviously, to be a very good team, but I just simply don't think this roster fits very well together. I don't think Steven Adams fits on this roster. I don't think Eric Bledsoe fits on this roster. And now Lonzo's been forced to be more like an off guard, and he hasn't been shooting the three ball well, which is going to be the thing that would allow him to be an off guard if he was shooting the three ball well. And there has been bright spots, like Nikhil Alexander-Walker's looks very good. He had that big game against the Clippers, and overall, he's just gotten more opportunity he has been playing a lot better uh, averaging 19 point averaging 19 minutes now and 11.3 points so i like to see that from him he had a pretty underwhelming rookie season but he definitely looks like he's improved pretty significantly so that's definitely nice uh some of their guys all are also just in slumps like jj reddick started to turn things around but especially at the beginning of the season he was in a massive slump but he's still only shooting 31.8 percent uh from three which obviously you expect better from jj reddick being one of the best shooters of all time so i expect certain things like that to turn around but overall i'm just not a big fan of the construction of this roster like i was very critical of their offseason because i feel like it deserves a lot of criticism kyra lewis uh for as high of a pick as he was is barely touching the floor and it makes sense because they have so many guards who are better than him right now like he has a lot of potential to be better than those guys in the future but kyra lewis is only getting 10.8 minutes per game and he struggled so far early on in the season and i don't even think that's an indictment against him against him i just think it's him not getting much opportunity and him not being able to really get in a rhythm so far this team is just so weirdly built and i just don't really like this roster i don't like how things work for this pelicans team i don't like their three-point shooting ability even if some guys are shooting better than expected from three i expect a lot of those things to uh get back to where they usually are and not be that good like eric bledsoe again it's not shooting 40 over 40 percent from three and i expect a guy like jj reddick to get better but the spacing and just fit between all these guys i feel like it's so awkward at so many times and it just it all it hinders 
and like it hinders all of these guys and it doesn't allow all these guys to reach their full potential because i think zion right now could be like a 26 to 28 point per game score i think brandon ingram has the ability to be also like a 26 to 28 point per game score but with the weird fit of this roster and with with how clogged the lane is for them it it definitely just doesn't help because even if they had steven adams maybe they had a stretch center off the bench who could be a guy who shoots the ball well but no you have jackson hayes who is a super raw player who relies fully on his athleticism and simply at this point in his career isn't a very skilled basketball player he is a project at the end of the day he doesn't shoot the three ball really at all and he doesn't really have a mid-range game either like they just need more spacing on this roster and i just really don't like what i've seen from them so far i thought they'd be a lot better like five and seven isn't necessarily a terrible record but i thought they'd be really up there as one of the better teams in the western conference and uh, obviously not like a crazy team but i thought they'd be pretty uh solidified in there as like the ninth eighth spot but they've just been a little underwhelming so far this season been a little bit disappointed by zion williamson and i've just been kind of disappointing uh, by this roster as a whole hopefully that kings win will help them hopefully zion will continue to play the way he did this game because if he does then he's gonna be awesome like he shot 13 of 15 was just getting to his spots and was absolutely dominating this game a little disappointed by the pelicans so far and i'm very very interested to see what their future holds this season now we got to talk about the Brooklyn Nets and James Harden's debut with this roster. It was definitely a very, very interesting one, and I definitely have a ton of takeaways for this roster. James Harden was awesome in his debut. I mean, he scored 32 points, had 12 rebounds, uh, 14 assists, 4 steals, also had 9 turnovers, which you obviously don't like to see, but overall played well. Was a little bit short on some of those step-back threes, and definitely you could tell he just needed to get his legs on him and especially considering they had no practices together the chemistry uh, hasn't really been built between these guys he played very very well i loved his initiative as a passer that was definitely something that's nice to see because i think james harden is a very good passer it's just all depended on if he wants to be the passer he's capable of being and he was this game 14 assists uh was really really getting uh, the break pushing when they were in the fast break had a lot of nice passes was hitting Joe Harris quite a lot Joe Harris had a pretty awesome game with 17 points shooting four of nine from three so that was definitely nice to see I uh, liked his ability to rebound and then just push the pace and obviously he's going to get to the free throw line like he always does got to the line 15 times in this one and just played very very well Kevin Durant I mean he's just He's just unstoppable. Like, what are you supposed to do guarding Kevin Durant? I literally don't know. And I saw a tweet, and I thought it was very, very funny. It was like, most of the time, Kevin Durant doesn't even, like, take the effort to separate. He literally just shoots over you, and there's nothing you can do about it. Like, he obviously has such a nice handle, and he can create space when he wants to. But a lot of the time, he just rises over someone. And what are you supposed to do? He's a 6'11 dude with a ridiculous uh, wingspan who is so talented and has such a good touch and is just such a good shooter and this Kevin Durant is honestly one of the best Kevin Durants we've ever seen like he's looked like 2014 MVP Durant he's been that ridiculous so far and it's just crazy the odds that Kevin Durant is beating this dude is coming off an Achilles injury literally an injury that has ended so many careers and he's averaging almost 31 points per game on 
50, 40, 87. Like, he's shooting 55% for the field, 48% from three, and basically 87% from the line. Seven rebounds, basically six assists as well. He's been ridiculous. It's just... It's amazing how Kevin Durant is playing so far, coming off such a bad injury, and he's proven why he's just one of the all-time greats. He's so, so talented, and even if he's maybe half a step slower athletically, which it really doesn't even look like he's that, he's so naturally talented and so skilled that that doesn't even matter at all because he can just rise over people, and he's so good at shooting that it doesn't matter if he even creates the separation he used to, and he's an underrated playmaker as well. Like He's average almost six assists per game uh, these past couple seasons and it doesn't really get talked about how he's a pretty solid playmaker and then that just opens up his uh, ability to score his threat as a playmaker as well he's been so awesome this season hasn't even been too bad on the defense side of the ball he's shown effort on that side and has been pretty solid overall Kevin Durant has blew me out of the water for how good he's playing so far he's been absolutely phenomenal been just ridiculous i love what joe harris brings to this team as someone who could just really shoot the ball averaging almost 15 points per game he's just been really really good and he's one of the guys who uh, i thought they just needed to resign and i'm so happy that they did because he was one of the guys who just fit so perfectly with this roster he is the perfect guy for this roster because he's a guy who just gets out of the way he doesn't do anything too much uh, extra like he'll at most he'll do a straight line drive or he'll do a pump fake sidestep three uh, for, for the most part, he'll just stand in the corner, move off ball, and get his catch-and-shoot opportunities and take advantage of them when he does. So I love what Joe Harris brings to the team. I'm super excited to see when Kyrie's back how the dynamic is because, like, James Harden and KD worked pretty well off each other. It was a lot of Harden pick-and-roll. Uh, sometimes there was a KD and Harden uh, pick-and-roll, which was definitely very, very interesting, and I don't know how you're meant to stop that. But I'm interested to see when you get another high-usage player in there how that's going to work off each other because it's definitely going to be a big challenge for this team is how all three of these guys are going to uh, work off each other like I think KD is going to be fine no matter what because KD is such a good off-ball player and he's a guy who doesn't really need many isos like even when he gets an iso it's just a, like a quick jab pull up but KD I mean, uh, Kyrie and uh, Harden are definitely guys who like the ball in their hand and like to dribble for a good amount of time. So it's going to take sacrifice from both of them to maximize each other's talents and to maximize this roster's potential. But I think their offensive ceiling is so ridiculously high. The thing that does worry me the most, though, is on the defensive side of the ball because at this point, DeAndre Jordan just isn't a good basketball player. Like, Jared Allen is such a big loss for them. And obviously, you're getting James Harden. You're getting a ton of talent on your roster by just adding him individually. But, yeah, DeAndre Jordan is not nearly as good of a player as Jared Allen is because he's lost so much of his athleticism and he's never really been a skilled player at the end of the day it's always been him relying on his athleticism now that he's 32 and he's lost a lot of that he's just not the same player that he used to be he's averaging 4.3 points and 6.8 rebounds he just simply isn't that good and uh, for him per and for him being like their main paint protector, that scares me so, so much because he just doesn't protect the paint that well. And against a really good center, like a Nikola Vucevic, who absolutely dogged this team, I'm worried. And there's a lot of good centers in this Eastern Conference. Nikola Vucevic had 34 points. He was killing them. And it's not even just protecting the paint. It's also DeAndre Jordan's ability to step out. Like that was what was killing them the most is that Vucevic is a pretty good shooter. And he shot 
12 threes and he made uh, six of them that was absolutely killing them is that DeAndre Jordan really doesn't have any mobility and even against a team that doesn't have a great center like you got to consider a team like the Boston Celtics they don't have a great center but they attack the rim very well Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown are really good at attacking the rim and I'm worried that in a game like that DeAndre Jordan could easily get in foul trouble very very quick and then you have to rely on a guy like Nicholas Claxton who I like quite a lot but I just don't think he's ready and then you have to move to small ball lineups with like Jeff Green at the five which is very fun and they did that quite a lot in the game against the Magic I actually like that I really like Jeff Green as a player and I like his ability to play the small ball five but that's not something you should rely on for long periods of time that's something that works for short spurts of time and is very effective when you run it that way because it'll allow the offense to be so open with Jeff Green being at the five, someone who can shoot. You can run an you can run an offense where there's literally four guys who can shoot the ball out. Well, five guys who can shoot the ball out there, and then that just opens up opportunities for guys like KD, James Harden, Kyrie. And what I do like about how good this roster is is that no matter what, like your worst player out there at all times, uh, at least star wise, is Kyrie Irving. And that's ridiculous because Kyrie Irving is a top 20 player in this league. So him being like your worst star player out there at times is absolutely ridiculous. Uh, so I do like that. And I like the ability of like a Bruce Brown to be a good perimeter defender. But I just simply think they don't have nearly enough defense and they need to make a trade. And luckily, uh, there'll be guys who are available to... Uh, to be traded for pretty cheap or guys on the buyout market if they could get either of the guys from the Cavs in Larry Nance Jr. or JaVale McGee I think JaVale McGee would be super easy to get literally throw them a second round pick and you can get JaVale uh, Larry Nance Jr. would definitely be someone who uh, takes a little bit more to get but if they could get someone like that that would help a ton uh, just any solidified veteran center would be huge for this roster to get and I'm sure there'll be those guys uh, at the trade deadline to get pretty easily at the buyout market but I honestly I just don't know if that's going to be enough because they're going to score a hell of a lot of points but if you're letting a team like the Orlando Magic with all the injuries that they have score 115 points and keep the game pretty close the entire time that does scare me a little bit, and I'm super interested uh, for what's going to happen for the season for the Brooklyn Nets. They're one of the most just puzzling teams in the NBA, and I'm very, very excited to see how things work out for them. James Harden debut was definitely a very, very interesting one. Now, I want to talk about Trey Young. He's someone who's had such a weird season so far, and he's just been one of the most interesting players for me to watch at this point in the season. As he started off super hot, he was playing absolutely incredible at the beginning of the season, and it was like, wow, is Trey Young going to be an MVP-level player? And the Hawks looked really good. Like, everything was going so well for Trey Young. But as of recent... He's been playing very, very weird and just has been confusing me and has puzzled me so much. He's averaging 23.2 points on the season on 38.6% from the field and 26.5% from three. That's just not typical Trey Young stuff at all, and it makes no sense the way he's playing. He's playing so timid and playing this weird passive basketball that again just isn't him and isn't his style of play and it's confusing the hell out of me because I, I don't know what it is I don't know if the John Collins situation is getting to him and I don't know if he really took the comments that John Collins said to heart I don't know if it's the Steve Nash comments talking about how he's not playing real basketball and it hurts uh, as his idol that 
Trey Young is playing this way with the whole free throw stuff. Like, I don't know what it is, but it's very clearly something that's affecting him. Because this is not just a cold streak. Like, he's obviously shooting cold, uh, but it's more of a confidence thing than anything. Like, he'll pick up the shooting at some point, but I just need to see Trey Young be a confident basketball player again because he simply hasn't been that recently, and that's so weird because he's someone who, even when he was in a shooting slump, he was always someone who I'd rely on being confident and uh, just continuing to shoot until he's out of a slump. But, like, recently in their game against Portland Trailblazers, he was shooting more in this one. Love to see that. But he shot terribly. Shot 7 of 23 from the field. One of nine from three had 11 assists, five turnovers. That's a pretty solid ratio. But the thing that annoyed me the most was the last shot. You are one of eight from three. And the last shot you take is like a 30 foot shot where you dribble up the court. There's no one to even have a chance to take an offensive rebound. There's a ton of time left on the clock. You don't even think about setting up your offense. You just take that terrible shot. And I mean, it's in and out. It's not like you missed it terribly. And that's Trey Young shot at the end of the day. But you just have to be smarter than that. Like, I don't know what he was doing on that play. You have to be more aware of the situation because the thing that annoys me more is I'm fine with that shot if you're it's late in the clock and you just have to get a shot up. But you had a 24 seconds shot clock and you take that when there's the thing that annoyed me the most was the no offensive rebounders too. Like there's literally no one that has a chance to get an offensive rebound. So if you miss the shot game over, but you take that shot, you are trying to be Steph Curry so hard when that's not a play that Steph Curry would make. Like it, it looked like he was trying to recreate that iconic Steph Curry OKC buzzer beater. But the difference with that is that there was like five seconds left on the clock and Steph Curry shot it at the end of the shot clock and he made it. It was an awesome shot. But at the end of the day, you got to understand the situation with you shooting one of eight from three. And then you have to understand the situation of how much time you have left on the clock and where your teammates are at on the court. Uh, again, I'm fine with that shot if if it's at the end of the shot clock and that's the best shot you can get but at least at least let your offense set up maybe run a pick and roll and just give yourself options but limiting yourself to taking like a 30 foot shot with that much time on the clock is idiotic and stupid and I don't even think Hawks fans are defending Trey Young at this point because at the end of the day these guys know how talented Trey Young is and he just shouldn't be playing like this like in the uh, game against the Utah Jazz, dude shot 11 shots, which, first of all, what are you doing, Trey Young? You know how talented you are, and he made one of those. He was absolutely terrible that game, and they lost that one. Uh, against the 76ers, that was basically his only good game in recent memory. Recent memory, He was awesome that game. Scored 26 points, uh, had 8 assists, 0 turnovers, but then we go back against the Charlotte Hornets. Lost that game. 5 of 19. 5 from 3. Only got to the line 5 times, which is also something that's weird. Trey Young at the beginning of the season, he was getting to his spots so easily, and he was getting free throws like crazy. As much as it pissed me off that he was doing that stuff that like James Harden does, where you're doing a pick and roll, and you get a defender off your bat on your back and then you like just go into your defender you get a foul i think that's a terrible uh thing and i hate that part of the game but at the end of the day it is effective and he was doing that but he's not even doing that anymore and he's just not getting to the free throw line nearly as much as he was early on in the season which was helping him so much he's only getting to the free throw line like 
uh, five times a game as of recent. He did get to the line, again, 12 times against Portland, and he played more of Trey Young game. It was a lot more of him just missing shots. But it's, it's just the confidence thing that's confusing me so much. If you look January 6th against the Hornets, dude had seven points. Seven. He took nine shots. Trey Young, you are a star player in this league. You were an all-star starter last year. What are you doing? He had three assists and seven turnovers. There's so many times where he just doesn't look like the Trey Young we all know he can be. And the thing is, to me, it's again, just what is causing this? Like, is it relationships within the team? Is it the John Collins situation? Is it the Steve Nash stuff? I don't know because... This is not the Trey Young he's capable of. He's way too damn talented to do this. Like, you see a guy that you were traded for in Luka Doncic having an awesome season, being the guy that we all know he can be, playing very, very well. And he was struggling earlier in the season. He was missing his threes like crazy. But he kept being confident. He kept playing his style of game, no matter what anybody on Twitter was saying about him, no matter what someone in an interview would say about him. And then Trey Young is just playing this weird style of basketball. And at the end of the day, if the Hawks were winning and he was struggling, then it'd be fine. If he was just being unselfish and was focusing more on playmaking, it would be fine. But he's averaging less assists than he was last year. And the Hawks are losing game. The Hawks have looked honestly kind of terrible recently. And the reason for that is because Trey Young has not been performing to nearly the capability that we all know Trey Young is able to. Because if this offense isn't electric, which we all know they can be, then they're just not that good of a team. And obviously, their circumstances with them dealing with a ton of injuries, like uh, guys have been in and out of this lineup so, so much. But five and seven, and you're playing the way you are, Trey Young, you simply have to be better. There's no excuse for how poor he's been playing. And I do hope he can turn things around because when Trey Young is on, when he's not doing the free throw stuff, and when he's just playing basketball and playing very well, he's one of the most fun players to watch in the league. But he's not been fun to watch recently. And that's just because he's been playing poor been super disappointing in Trey Young and I really do hope he could turn things around because this is this has been very very weird so far next player I want to talk about is Ben Simmons man Ben Simmons has been one of the most disappointing players so far this season and has been one of the most frustrating players that's been the thing more than anything is how frustrating Ben Simmons has been so far this season Ben Simmons is way too damn talented to be performing the way he is. Simply enough, he has been performing not nearly to the capability that we all know Ben Simmons is able to. Ben Simmons is an M- is an all-NBA level talent and has been playing like Rajon Rondo. It's absolutely ridiculous the way Ben Simmons has been playing. This dude is averaging... 12.3 points per game. 12.3 points per game. This dude is a generational talent. A 6'11 guy who can handle the ball better than most guards. Who is way stronger than almost anybody who's going to be guarding him. And he's averaging 12.3 points per game. It's absolutely just ridiculous the way he's been performing. And the thing that annoys me the most is just his lack of aggression. His lack of aggression is such a problem right now. He's a guy who basically anybody you put on him should be a mismatch. 
but he doesn't take advantage of it basically ever. Like so many times, I just feel like he can attack the basket and he's just refusing to. And there's been so many times also where it looks like he's going to attack the basket. And even if he misses the shot, I don't care if he misses the shot, but I want him to take it. I want him to give himself opportunities to get to the free throw line and he's not doing it. There's so many times where he's driving in and then he does this awkward thing where he like turns around and he tries to pass it and there's no one there. And then there's a turnover. He's averaging 4.2 of those per game, which is a career high as well, which you obviously don't like to see either. And I feel like a lot of those turnovers are just because he's passing out and he's being so passive right now this dude was touted as being like a lebron level talent of being like a magic johnson type of player and again he's playing like a prime rajon rondo which isn't a bad player by any means like ben simmons at the end of the day is still impactful because he's an amazing rebounder he's one of the best defenders in the league with how versatile he is and he's a great playmaker but the the way he's been playing is simply unacceptable and the thing about 76ers fans is uh they're mad about him too and it's because they all know the capability he can play to but he's just simply not it's not because ben simmons is a bad player it's just because he could be playing so much better and the thing about ben simmons is a lot of times like he looks good in the box score he'll put up some good numbers but a lot of those a lot of the time those just aren't really impactful and he could be playing so much better than he actually is in that Grizzlies game especially he pissed me off so many times like I said with the passing out of uh, shots he did that multiple times and that really screwed his team over the dude shot nine shots and I mean two of those were threes one of them was at the end of the shot clock and then one of them was early and he missed it by half a mile it felt like that was one of the worst shots I've ever seen but the dude had seven turnovers multiple of those being key turnovers that were big in losing them this game and the most annoying thing to me about his lack of aggression in this game is is Joel Embiid was not playing in this basketball game. If Joel Embiid is not playing, Ben Simmons should dominate. It should be the Ben Simmons show. Because he has guys like Tyrese Maxey and Danny Green alongside him. You should not let Tobias Harris shoot eight more times than you. Tyrese Maxey shooting more than you. Shake Milton shooting more than you. Like, it's ridiculous. Dwight Howard shot one less time than you. That's terrible, and that's a disaster for Ben Simmons. He's way too talented to be playing like this. And again, that's the annoying thing is, it's not that he's playing bad. He's still a good basketball player, but he's just capable of doing way more. And the the thing that annoys me, it's it's not an injury holding him back. In this game, uh, Joel Embiid wasn't even playing, so you can't even say the bad fit. You can't even say he was deferring to Joel Embiid. All he's doing is just holding himself back. It's completely on Ben Simmons for not being as good as he can be. It's all about him not playing to the capability is. And it's all because he's just not being as aggressive as he should be. I was even looking back at some old summer league games from Ben Simmons. And he's a completely different player than he was in his rookie season. In his rookie season, Ben Simmons was taking mid-range jumpers. I don't even need Ben Simmons to take threes. If he was just getting to his spots taking mid-range jumpers, then it'd be fine. 
fine. But he's just seemed to completely lost the confidence now. And if you go back and watch those summer league games, watch some of his rookie games, he was taking mid-ranges pretty consistently. And he wasn't even a bad mid-range shooter. So I just don't know what's going on with Ben Simmons that he's not taking those. I don't know what's going on with Ben Simmons that he's only taking nine shots in a game where Joel Embiid isn't playing. It's confusing the living hell out of me how a guy who is this talented can be this mid and this underwhelming so far in the season. We all know he can be way better than this, and I just want to see Ben Simmons be better. I'm a Celtics fan. I... I do, I do not want to see the 76ers ever be good because we have a massive rivalry against them. But Ben Simmons, at the end of the day, I want to see uh, good basketball. And Ben Simmons isn't playing to the capability he should be playing and he's capable of playing. And that's the thing that annoys me the most is that I know it's inside of Ben Simmons. If he just didn't have the talent, then it would make complete sense. But he has all the talent in the world to be so much better. And it's just disappointing. Like, People say he's the same player as his rookie season, which he's not. Like I said, he was taking mid-range jumpers, but uh, he's also a million times better defender. But the thing about him plateauing on the offensive side of the ball from his rookie season is completely true. He hasn't gotten better on the offensive side of the ball. And honestly, with him not really taking like the mid-range anymore... I would dare to say he's gotten worse on the offensive side of the ball. And in a playoff series especially, this is why I just don't trust the 76ers in a playoff series. is because Ben Simmons is a black hole on the offensive side of the ball when a team schemes against him. When a team lets him shoot and he just doesn't. He refuses to. It's I just don't believe it in the 76ers team for that reason and it's all because of Ben Simmons not being the player we all know he's capable of he's probably for me at least he's by far the most frustrating player in the NBA and it's not because he's an awful player it's because I know it's inside him to be much better than he actually is but he's just not this dude should be a top 15 player in the NBA like I'm high on Ben Simmons I'm probably higher than most are I think he uh, at least last year, I thought he was close to Joel Embiid for being the best player on this roster. I believed in Ben Simmons that much, but he's been a massive disappointment so far this season, and I need to see him be better. Now getting into some player spotlights. First, starting off with Zach Levine. Zach Levine has been absolutely incredible so far this season did really struggle uh, against the Mavericks even though they were able to win that game but that game was a complete anomaly Zach Levine is one of the best scorers in the NBA and it's not even a, a debate at this point like Zach Levine is just that guy the dude is averaging 26.9 points per game on 48.6% from the field, 37.9% from three, and 86.1% from the line. That is such phenomenal efficiency. He's hit so many big shots. I mean, he, sh he has a true shooting of 62.6%, which is great. His playmaking is definitely taking a little bit of a step. It's something that's still not great, but it's getting better every single season. He's averaging 5.2 assists now, which I love to see. Is averaging 4.1 turnovers, but with how high of a usage guy he is that's kind of what you just expect at the end of the day and I got to give so much credit to Zach Levine for how he's been playing so far he's been so massive for the Chicago Bulls team and I feel bad for him because there's been so many games where Zach Levine has balled out and has just played out of his mind 
and they still lose. And it's not Zach Levine's fault at all. Like in that LA trip, especially, he played ridiculous and they narrowly lost both of those games. And it just, it does nothing but just make you feel bad for Zach Levine because you know how talented of a player he is. And you just know he's not in a good situation right now. Like the Bulls haven't even been that bad this season. They won over the Mavericks, even with Zach Levine playing very poor and with uh, Kobe White not playing good either. Uh, that was a re really good win for them. But overall, they're still just not that good of a team. And I think on a team like the 76ers, where they need someone who can really score the ball, who could be an aggressive guy and just not really care, I think he would thrive and would prove his value for being a player who could really help a championship squad. And honestly, I would not be surprised if we see Zach Levine request a trade sooner rather than later because it's just... It's rough in Chicago, and it's not even, again, they're not a terrible team. I just feel like a lot of teams are better than them, no matter what Zach Levine tries to do. Like, Zach Levine has, again, had so many amazing games where they've just narrowly lost because the other team simply outmatches uh, them. He is so good at everything on the offensive side of the ball. Like, at, early on in his career, he was thought of as just a dunker due to his crazy athleticism, but people people need to realize this dude is one of the best three-point shooters in the NBA. Like, 38% isn't anything super special, but you have to can, you always have to take context, uh, context in for everything. This dude takes 8.93 a game and a lot of these are off the dribble contested step back the degree of difficulty that uh, Zach Levine takes on his threes are very very challenging and he still manages to be a very good shooter shooting 38% basically uh, this season and last season I mean the season before when he was coming off his uh, big injury he had he shot 37.4% like he is just an amazing shooter and he still has his crazy athletic ability he's great at attacking the basket his mid-range game is silky smooth he's got a great mid-range game I love his ability out of the pick and roll his ability to just pull up out of the pick and roll and make a shot from almost anywhere is phenomenal his range is crazy he gets to the free throw line about six times per game and is an efficient uh, shooter there. He just has mastered the craft of being a scorer and is so good from everywhere on the court on the offensive side of the ball. And now that his playmaking is taking steps every single year, he's getting better on the defensive side of the ball as well. It's getting hard to deny that Zach Levine is just a great player. And while I don't think as the number one option, your team is really going to get anywhere with Zach Levine, uh, at least anywhere significant. Like, I think you could definitely be a playoff team with Zach Levine as your number one guy, but not much more than that. But as a number two, again, on a team like the Philadelphia 76ers, man, Zach Levine would really show his value and I think would be a player that helps that team win a championship potentially. I think that Zach Levine is that good. He's just so well-rounded on the offensive side of the ball and has played so, so well this season. He's been one of the best scorers in the NBA and has continued to prove why he's an upper echelon scorer. And I just really wish Zach Levine was on a better team and could really show his value because so many people still think this dude is like an empty stats guy just doesn't put up impactful numbers and it, it kind of makes sense when you see just the win-loss record of the Chicago Bulls but this dude is a great player who's just not in a great situation and is he the perfect player by no means he still needs to improve his playmaking even though I feel like it's taken steps it's still something that needs work he needs to improve on the defensive side of the ball a lot of the time his effort especially off ball can just be 
uh, laughable at points, but he is still a very, very good player and has proven to be one of the better offensive, especially players in all of the NBA, but just doesn't get the credit because he's not on a good team. And he really start he needs to start getting more credit for how he uh, has been playing this season because he's been absolutely phenomenal. And yeah, shout out to Zach Levine for a great season so far. Definitely deserves one of my player spotlights. My next player spotlight will be for Luke Wentz Dort, who has transformed into one of the best role players in all of the NBA, and it really shouldn't even be a debate. Dude is averaging 12.8 points, 3.8 rebounds, and 0.8 assists on 46% from the field, 43.1% from three, and 78.6% from the line. And those numbers really don't even show Luguen Stewart's impact. He has improved a ton as a three-point shooter, and honestly, that's the thing that has stood out by far the most to me and why I felt like I needed to give him a player spotlight is just how good he's shooting from the three. He's shooting 5.4 threes a game and is shooting 43%. This dude went from Andre Roberson levels of just, I don't really need to guard this guy at all, to being an elite three and D guy. Like it's amazing how he's transformed his three point shooting. And the, the thing that has honestly impressed me the most is that a lot of these aren't even just catch and shoot threes. Like obviously it's still impressive if he was shooting that well on catch and shoot threes, but some of these are off the dribble. His handle has looked way better this season. He's been able to blow by defenders at times and he's just looked much better as a whole. Like obviously last year he was still a great defender and he was a massive part of that OKC team who was a very very good roster but he's improved so much in basically every facet of his game he's using that 215 pounds of him he's a really strong dude and he's using that to finish at the basket better to finish through people very well get get into the free throw line a little bit more uh, and he's playing a lot more as well and he's been a big part to why the OKC uh, Thunder are still a good team even though they may not have like the top end talent that a lot of other teams do they just fit so well together and they all play together and Lou Dor is such a big part of that because he's the guy who's willing to even though he's been good on the offense side of the ball he's shooting nine times a game and shooting 5.4 of those uh, from three he's a guy who's willing to maybe take three shots in a game but focus all his energy on the defensive side of the ball and even though Ludor has had more responsibility on offense do not get me wrong he is still a menace on the defensive side of the ball and is one of the best defenders in the league honestly i'd be surprised if he doesn't get a ton of recognition uh for being like an all defense guy i could definitely see him being on like the second team obviously he has some tough competition with guys like marcus smart and ben simmons at the guard position but he's easily one of the best defensive guards in the league he's just so focused on that side of the ball and so locked in at all times and uses that 215 pounds and all the strength that he has to be such a good defender it's just a ton of effort and then physical tools that help him be good on that side of the ball as well i just love his improvement uh as a basketball player as a whole he was a guy who i was super interested in coming out of arizona state he went undrafted and honestly i was pretty surprised by that i was uh, very intrigued when the okc thunder picked him up and i was excited to see him get so involved uh so young um 
And now he's legitimately turned into like a very, very good player. He was like a bit of a meme. Obviously, he was still a good player last year, but everybody was joking about how good Luen Store was. But especially in the playoffs in that game seven, ever since that game seven where he broke out and hit a ton of threes and uh, showed his three-point shooting ability, he's been lights out ever since then and it's been playing so, so well. And I don't think this is like unsustainable. I don't think he's just shooting hot. I legitimately think he's worked his ass off in the offseason and has improved a ton as a shooter because, again, these are not all just catch and shoots. Most of them are, but he is taking some off the dribble, and he has improved his handle, has improved his ability to blow by defenders. Overall, he's just a very, very hard worker who works for everything that he has, which I just love the story of Lou Dor as an undrafted guy who came into a starting role on a high-seeded playoff team and then uh, the next year with much more responsibility where this team easily could have just bottomed out and be, be terrible this year. He is a big reason why they are still a competent team. I just love Lou Dort, love his style of play, love his story. Uh, I just think he's such a fun player, and he's been awesome for the OKC Thunder this year. Definitely turned into one of the best role players and definitely one of the best 3 and D guys in the league. Shout out to Lou Dor on improving his game so much and being such a hard worker. It's been a pleasure to watch you so far this season. And that has been the episode of the Under Pressure Podcast. It's Ben Michael. Hope you enjoyed. Peace out.